another day Another dollar Makes you wonder where your money went You can scream And you can hide Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Today is Thursday, November 20th. 2008, just a week away from Thanksgiving today, and as always, this podcast is being conducted on my 50-mile commute between Arlington and Frisco, Texas, as one man's opinion about the changing world, the changing economic times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life, if times get tough, or even if they don't. And uh, we got kind of a mixed bag show today. First, I want to talk about... Um, why I didn't have a show yesterday, I'll give you real quick on that. I want to tell you something really cool about our forum uh, that just happened, kind of a milestone in our forum. I want to talk a little bit about the listener appreciation contest and some things that are going on there. Um, and I have to apologize for the fact we got eight new winners, and I don't have their names with me to read them off. But uh, we're going to have to do something like set up a forum thread specifically for winners to post pictures of themselves with their prizes. I think it's kind of exciting, some of the stuff that we're, we're giving away, uh, both right now and uh, we'll continue to give away in the future. Uh, and then I want to talk real brief about some media bias stuff that's going on right now, just just to keep you guys aware and, and be careful of what you listen to. And then I'm going to talk about the main subject of today's show. Today's show is really going to be about... Um, a little bit about unarmed self-defense, kind of from the martial arts type of perspective. Um, you know, obviously, in a, a podcast, I'm not going to be able to tell you how to defend yourself. Uh, but I can give you some of my thoughts on some various uh, dis- different disciplines of martial arts. Something really cool that I uh, have been working with for about two years that's actually from uh, Russia. Uh, that goes back into the uh, the czarist uh, times and, uh, and out into the Siberia area, uh, which will be kind of cool, and uh, just about the psychology of confrontation and some things that I picked up from a gentleman that I worked with on this martial arts project uh, named Valery Asnov, who was actually at one time part of the infamous KGB, so I'll give you some of their thoughts, and you might be surprised at the way that uh, that breaks down, so let's uh, let's get on with it. First, why was there no show yesterday? Well, I had kind of an impromptu, got to run out, uh, meet with a client uh, of my company yesterday, or not yesterday afternoon, Tuesday afternoon and just kind of had to leave the office really quick. What I did left my recorder, so nothing dramatic um, other than if I would have gone ahead and uh, used the uh, the recording device I used back in the, the first uh, days of the show, we would have one of those crappy audio shows, and I didn't want to do that and figured I could use a day off, so that's why there was no show yesterday. Uh, occasionally, folks, there will be no show, and uh, when I see a forum thread that says, I'm a survival podcast addict, and I keep hitting refresh to see if the new episodes of it makes me feel good, uh, that's usually why I tend to to send an email to the list. I didn't do that yesterday either. Uh, But sometimes there's not going to be a show. I try to have at least four a week, five most weeks. If you don't see a show by uh, noon central time, uh, just assume there won't be one uh, that given day. Uh, It usually doesn't take me very long to edit these things and get them up. So that's why there was no show yesterday. Now on the forum, what, what just happened is really cool. We now have just had our 10,000th post by a member in the forum. Uh, there's about 500 members, I think, in the forum now. The forum's a couple months old, if at that. Now, there's forums out there online that, that are 
a year or two old that don't have 500 members and 10,000 posts on them. Uh, and they're actually pretty decent forums and pretty decent groups of guys. And they just they just haven't had enough time to kind of hit a momentum phase and start to really gel and get people really interested in speaking to each other on a daily basis through the Internet. Um, the success we've had is only because of folks like you that listen to my show uh, that then go there and realize that the other people that listen to this show are very much like you, no matter what their color, their sex, their national origin is, uh, no matter where they're at, they're concerned about the same types of things, and uh, that there's a variety of things to discuss there, and once people start to talk to each other, they realize they're not alone, that these these concerns are real, uh, they're out there, and other people understand you, and that's why the forum's been such a success. So I know I have about two to three thousand downloads every day of my show. Uh, so I have two to three thousand people that listen to my show in one form or another now. And there's about 500 of you that are on the forum. And of the 500, there's about 150 that have never even made a post. They just kind of joined and kind of tooled around in there. Uh, so I want to encourage you to, to come by the forum and, and start talking to people because uh, everybody there is, is fairly friendly. And when somebody's mean, we get rid of them. Uh, that's just what we do. We keep a tight noose on the situation. We make sure that people are respectful of each other. You want to come in there, it's like the politics forum and bash a politician. I don't care if he's a Republican, a Democrat, a Libertarian, a Constitutionalist, or an illegal alien. If you want to bash a politician, you go right ahead. You want to bash another forum member, we uh, we, we don't allow that, and uh, we shut it down immediately. So what I'm trying to say is it's a safe place for both, you know, the, the you know, how could there be much of a debate over growing carrots and, and peas and onions in your garden, uh, all the way to the forums that are of highly controversial subjects like politics and even occasionally a little bit about religion. So please join in. Uh, next, again, on the listener appreciation contest, I just kind of want to let you know what's coming. Last night, Center of Mass uh, sent me um, a couple uh, gun safes. These are small uh, pistol gun safes for inside your vehicle. One is a key lock. One is biometric. I'll be posting a review of them over the weekend, allowing everybody to take a look at them on Monday and get an idea of what you're going to be uh, uh, competing for in the contest. And I'll start giving them away probably one a week right up to Christmas. I don't remember if it was four or five. I'll have to check my notes, but four or five of the standard key lock devices uh, we'll be giving away. Uh, these are a great product, and uh, one of the biometric ones, which last night we, we my wife and I played with it and uh, made it memorize both of our fingerprints, and it was pretty cool. And uh, that's $180 value. So uh, that's the kind of thing that we're going to be giving away. Again, uh, SOE Tactical Gear, we've given away eight of the tactical stockings. I have seven more to go. And you know what? I'm just going to throw this out there. I'm going to give away one today. Just one. Uh, to the 20th person today that emails me with SOE Tactical Stocking. Okay, so that I can separate it from the last two ones we did. Because I still have people competing. If you're still competing from the other day and the day before that, don't do it anymore. Those those have all been won. But I'm going to give away one today. Uh, so we should ship out an in, in, uh, even five this week. Uh, again, SOE Tactical Stocking in the subject line. Send me an email to jack at com. You must include 
the email address that you used to register for the contest. Okay, you have to be registered for the contest. If you're not registered, you have to register first. You can do that at the survivalpodcast.com. Just click on Listener Appreciation Contest. You'll get details about it. But again, send me an email. And if you've already won and you want to keep playing, you can win more than once in this thing, folks. Uh, this is uh, this is the new contest, not the original one. So 20th email today, SOE Tactical Stalking. Not stalking, stalking, singular in the subject line, uh, name and email that you registered with in the body. And I will email back the winner. When I email you back, please quickly let me know your shipping address. If if you take a couple days to do that, you may miss the shipment and have to wait until the next time my wife mails stuff out. Uh, So I try to, as soon as they come in, I keep a count. And as soon as I hit a number, I email back the winner and say, hey, you want some of your shipping info. Uh, If you don't want to give me your address, don't play because can't send it to you by email. These are physical products, folks. Uh, so that knocks that down. Uh, so let's, uh, let's, let's talk just a little bit real quick about media bias, and then we'll get into the topic of today's show. And I don't think anybody is real shocked to, to hear you know anybody else today say that the media is biased. Um, in fact, uh, Fox News, who gets you know, blasted as being right-wing conservative or whatever, did a poll. And they only asked people that voted for Obama in the last elections. These were all people that supported Obama. Do you feel that the media was biased and gave an advantage to Barack Obama? And 66% of people who voted for him said, yeah, the media kind of was in the tank for him. Now that's, that's, uh, that's a pretty big number when you're talking about people that actually supported him and voted for him and were happy that he won. Uh, and I think it's just because it was so obvious. You have to kind of be in major denial to say that wasn't true. Well, you know, it's it's kind of continued, and there's some various stories, like a, a serious journalist writing a, an article out in California for a major magazine about it's about time we had a woman, a black, beautiful woman with a big butt in the White House. And if, and if I were a person of color, I'd be pretty offended by that, even though that the author herself is also a personal of co- person of color. I don't think that's what we should be talking about. We have a lot of problems in this country, but that's not the media bias thing I want to talk about. This was something that I picked up from Glenn Beck the other day, and, and I just went, wow, I am so tired of these news outlets shaping things to, to, to appear a certain way without even technically lying. And, and here's what, what's been going on. Um, you've heard over and over again how Barack Obama won by a landslide, and he won with about 56% of the vote, okay, which is a solid victory. There's, and no one can deny that the Obamas ran a wonderfully executed campaign. Now, if you listen to my show, you know I'm not happy about the man being president, but you can't deny success. Wonderfully successful campaign, even though I think a lot of people that voted for him don't know what the hell they voted for. They voted for hope and change, whatever the hell that is. But solid victory. At the same time, there was a a thing called Proposition 8 in California. And it was a constitutional amendment to basically ban gay marriage in the state of California. Now, if you've listened to my shows in the past, you may know that I believe that the state really has no business in marriage. And I think that when we're debating gay marriage, we're wasting valuable political time on things that could be, you know, discussing things like, why are you guys blowing trillions of dollars that we don't have, taxing us out to yin-yang, trying to take away our guns, denying the Constitution, on and on and on and on and on. 
And that, you know, marriage should have been left between two people and their view of God. And that the state should stay out of it. But I also am a big believer in states' rights, and I'm a big believer in the constitutional process. Well, the people of California went to the polls and voted in Proposition 8, effectively banning gay marriage in the state of California. So while I've said I think gays can marry whoever they want should be left alone, it might surprise you to hear me say I absolutely support California's right uh, to amend their constitution in this way, shape, and form, and that that law is probably more valid than 99% of other laws out there because it was voted for by individual people. Now, the media bias comes in here. We're being told that this, this proposition passed by such a narrow, narrow margin. Well, roughly it got 56% of the vote for. The exact same margin of victory, alright, that Barack Obama had in the popular vote. The exact same. I think Barack Obama got 56.2 and this thing was right at 56.0. Alright, but we're talking about 56% one way or another. And the media, and I, and I never really, again, it's not a big issue for me. You folks that keep trying to change my opinion on this, you're wasting your time. I don't really care. I don't care if Steve marries Bob or if, if Debbie marries Susan. I don't, it doesn't affect me, and I know that, and I don't care. All right, But again, state amends their constitution. People say this is what they want. They follow proper constitutional procedure. You can't argue with the validity of law. That's the way that it is. As long as there's a law that way, that's the way it has to be enforced. Courts shouldn't be stepping in overturning it. But the media has to call it a narrow victory. While at the same time, at the same election, another decision is made by the exact same margin is a landslide. All right. What's the real answer? Both of them were solid victories. Both of them let people have their voices heard. And the thing about a democracy, folks, and part of why we prepare, is when you let people decide, sometimes they make mistakes. I'm not going to say where the mistakes have been made recently. I think you know how I feel about it. But I just wanted, once again, to reinforce, be careful when you believe anything that the TV tells you, whether it's CNN, MSNBC, Fox News, Dan Rather, the, the People's Court, or, you know, some stupid sitcom. You really have to be very careful when you believe anything that these people say. Because they all are humans, and they all have individual agendas, and they will all tend to be biased toward the things that they believe. It's just human nature. You know, and ju just kind of my last thought on that before I move into today's main subject. Um, you know, you may wonder sometimes why I go off about politics or the media or just anything uh, like that. I don't just stick to the practical things uh, that we can do to prepare. And it's because we, as survivalists, have to pay attention to what's going on around us. We have to have good, valid information about the things that are creating or escalating threats. In other words, if we're worried about flu pandemic, we need to pay attention to the news about pandemics, who's doing what, what procedures will be put in place, and on all types of things like that. The same thing with the economy. Uh, we have to pay attention to economic indicators that say, hey, it may be time to ramp up what you're you're doing now a little bit faster because the threat matrix is a little bit higher. Now the problem is that we have to get a reliable source of information and to be good at that we have to learn how to filter this information uh, so that we're not 
you know, using the wrong information. So occasionally I have to point things out like this just to keep everybody thinking all the time, hey man, we can't trust these people. Because again, 56% cannot both be a narrow victory and a landslide. It must be one, the other, or neither. And in this case, I believe it was neither. They're both solid victories. Let it be what it is. If the, if the news was at all impartial, that's how this would have been reported. But no. No, we have to make a big deal out of everything, and we have to put our little personal agendas into everything. So, moving on from that, uh, today's show, a little bit about the psychology of confrontation. What I've learned from speaking to people that were previously members of that infamous uh, feared organization, the KGB, I'm going to talk a little bit about a Russian martial art called Sistema, and, and what I've learned about punching and striking from that, and what I've learned about how to handle confrontation from that. Um, I'm just going to tell you the story of how I, I learned about this martial art. Um, I had just started working with my business partner, uh, uh, Neil Franklin, and we were putting together uh, several different websites to market various products. And he says, I want you to meet this this guy, my, my martial arts teacher. We're going to put together a martial arts product. And he really didn't say anything else other than that since, since Valerie Asnoff, who's the gentleman in question, was coming to the United States a week or two from then. Um, he, he just kind of told me the background. This is a Russian martial art. It's probably something you've never seen. And I was thinking like jujitsu and holds and, and things like that. And you know, there are things like that in this, this discipline, but we were making a product that was primarily designed to pe- teach people how to punch. And how to punch very, very hard, very, very effectively, and learn how to do so in a very minimal amount of time without having to have perfect form. In fact, the whole point was that you could be in any position and deliver these blows. So I started looking this stuff up on the internet uh, to get ready for this, and I found some videos, and uh, actually he was in some of them. I didn't recognize him. I didn't know who he was at the time. And I looked at some of this, and I watched these guys hit each other, and see guys just drop, but they were hitting each other in the stomach, and they didn't look like they were really doing anything that uh, damaging. And I kind of got pretty skeptical of this stuff, and then I met Val, and, and I kind of had this image in my head, you know, former KGB, the guy was also in the Russian Olympic uh, team uh, a very, very long time ago as a, as a judo uh, uh, competitor, and uh, had this image of like some kind of Dolph Lundgren guy, and Val's a kind of a big guy, he's in good shape, but he's not this huge muscle bound you know I am from the KGB I'm here to kill you kind of guy right Um, just kind of a normal very disarming very unassuming man and as we were talking about this and how to film it and how to stage the product and all Neil says you know what you're going to have to let him hit you or you're never really going to understand alright so Val said just a little tap I'll just tap you right so I stood up and I could take a pretty good punch and I kind of tightened my stomach And he held his hand maybe two inches from my stomach, and it almost looked like he just turned his hand over and just, like, dropped his his fist on my stomach. And when it hit me... The first thought was that was pretty hard, but no, I can I can handle that. And then a, a pain began to radiate through my entire midsection. And, and what I came to realize later is the reason that, it, and I let him hit me again, is because even though it hurt, it was almost a little bit addicting. Like, man, I I need to understand this a little bit better now. I'm prepared. What's it going to be like? He hit me a little harder, and I was a little bit more prepared, so I, I handled it a little bit better. And I just was amazed that someone could touch 
me with what seemed like so little effort, and, and it impacted me in such a way. What I learned is that he was using a technique that, that could be explained with basic physical science that allowed the weight of his arm to deliver the blow. And what that did is it created a, a, a kind of a kinetic energy response where the energy wasn't delivered to the surface. Those strong stomach muscles of mine that I had tightened up did very little to help me because they were simply the point where his fist impacted. The, 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 the power in the blow went right past them and impacted my internal organs. And if you think about that, if you were to take somebody's stomach muscle girdle away and tap them in the, the stomach or the intestines or the liver or the spleen, you, you wouldn't have to hit them very hard to totally incapacitate him. And that's basically what he had done. So we put together these videos, and we have a website for them, and we've been selling them for about two years now. Uh, it's been very successful. And in that time, I've come to learn more. And I've come to understand and appreciate this martial art. I'm going to tell you a little bit about how this striking method works, and then I'm going to tell you the more important part, the psychology of this martial art, the psychology of the people that teach it, the mentality of the Russian people that both developed this a long, long, ancient you know, time ago, almost as far back as the, uh, the Far Eastern martial arts go, and the mentality of the people who made it part of the Sveznok and the KGB and Russian special forces, okay? So, understanding how this works, if, if I want you to think about if you throw a typical punch the way we're all taught to punch, whether it's our dad teaching us to box, or whether we go take taekwondo, or jiu-jitsu, or any other boxing, any other sport, you're taught when you punch that your body has to be in a certain form, your shoulders in a certain way, that you turn over the shoulder at the punch, you put your hips, your body into the punch, okay, and you're, above all, your body is very, very rigid, your arm is rigid, everything's locked, everything's tight, all right? And when everything's right, yeah, you can really throw a good punch that way. You can deliver a lot of power, and most of the power that's in those punches comes from one structure and two speed. In other words, the faster that the blow is delivered, the more impact there is. This is akin to why a 223, right, the M16 round, has such a heavy or a devastating impact. It's a very light bullet, okay? It's a very small caliber, 22 caliber caliber, very light bullet, but it's moving at a very rapid speed, and the power in its blow comes from the speed, all right? Contrast that with something that's a very slow shooting implement, like, oh, I don't know, 44 Special, not 44 Magnum, 44 Special, right? The old workhorse of, you know, uh, the days before there were any handgun Magnums. Low velocity, 240 a 300 grain piece of lead moving along under a thousand feet per second but when it hits it does a massive amount of damage and it almost never does a lot of you know hydrostatic damage it doesn't blow up organs right and it doesn't ever 
tend to pass through. It kind of just dumps this big slug into a body. That's the difference in the, the Russian style of striking from a conventional uh, Eastern or Western style of striking. Instead of this, these high-speed blows, what you're allowing to happen is the weight and the momentum of your arm to take over. And if you think about it this way, if, if you were standing up and I gave you a big shot of anesthesia and you were some freak willing to allow me to do this, and I took a knife and I disjointed and cut your right arm off right at the shoulder joint so that when I picked your arm up, I could hold it by the bicep, right, and the arm would just kind of hang freely there. If I then took your hand and duct taped it up into a ball and took your arm, walked over to somebody else, held it like a baseball bat in my hand, took it up over my head and just hit somebody with it. I would knock the living hell out of them. And no one would be surprised by the result. They would only be surprised that I'd cut your arm off. Why is that the case? It's the case for, for two prime, actually three primary reasons. One, I'm now striking with dead weight. The arm is independent of the body. It's only doing whatever I tell it to do when I make my strike and at some point it's like a hammer if you take a hammer and you try to hammer a nail with a stiff hand and you're like whack whack you can't hammer a nail but you hammer with a loose whack whack and the weight of the hammer takes over and drives a nail right in no problem no muss no fuss any good carpenter can drive a nail and no good carpenter does it with a stiff strike it's done with a loose strike that lets the weight of the hammer take over when I hit you with that arm that's what's happening the weight of the arm is doing the work the next thing is just how much the arm actually weighs. Most people don't know this. The average adult adult male, if you were to cut their arm off, it weighs about 15 pounds. Now, if you think, if, if I were to hit you with a 5-pound sledgehammer, right, it, it could deliver a devastating blow. Well, your arm weighs three times more than that 5-pound sledgehammer. All right, so it's a massive amount of weight that people don't realize because your body's been built to control the weight. Well, when you're delivering a punch where you're in these rigid forms like we're taught to do, you're taking away the weight. You're supporting the weight. And the only thing left is the speed of the blow and whatever body weight, based on the form you're using, you're able to apply behind it. Where when your arms are loose in delivering the blow, you're allowing the weight of the arm to do its job. And number three, if I'm hitting you with that dead weight arm, I have a hinge. All right, And this is why if you hit somebody with, like, say, a nunchuck versus a solid stick, the nunchuck does more damage because of that, 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 that chain, that hinge in between, allows additional momentum like a whip to be developed. So Sistema is taking these things and putting them together and teaching your body very, very quickly how to allow your arm to behave like a dead weight, but you're still in control. Another way to explain this is, if I take something small, like a golf ball, and I just hold it in my hand and tap you with it, even if I tap you in the forehead, and I just tap you real lightly in the forehead, and I'm holding it there, tap, it won't really hurt. It's like, tap, what did you do that for? Right? And you can see that, what the hell's wrong with you? Why'd you tap me down with a golf ball? Right? Fine. But, if I stand back and just as gently toss that golf ball, Right? And I don't put any more effort into it. I just toss it and let it go and let it be free. And it flies through the air a couple feet and hits you in the head. It hurts a hell of a lot more. Why? 
because the golf ball has been set free of its limitations. That's what Sistema is about. It's about setting yourself free of your, your limitations. So, I started working with this and learning how to, to punch with it and started to develop a lot more power to my punching. What I realized is, and as I was working with some of my friends that wanted to learn about this, is I could, you know, get down on one knee, lean up against the wall, be completely off-angled, have a person come at me and drop one of these blows into their stomach or their chest, holding back, and still have them go, yeah, I, 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 I don't really... You know, want any of that? That's that's not cool. Uh, let's let's not take it up from here. And, and I w- I became amazed by it. But the more I thought about the science and the mechanics behind it, the more I realized how much sense it made. So anyway, Sistema may be something you want to check out. I'll post some links to some videos you can take a look at. And I'll post a link to Valside from this podcast. And, uh, you know, we do sell those DVDs. And if you'd like to uh, take advantage of we have a special offer. If you send me an email, jackofthesurvivalpodcast.com, um, and just put in the subject line Sistema, uh, I'll send you a just, You don't have to go through the whole marketing process. I'll just send you a direct link to the special deal that we have where we basically give away everything that we have on this if you're interested. Uh, it's not really a sales pitch, guys. It's just something I wanted to make you aware of. Okay, the bigger thing here, though, and the thing that's been the most valuable to me when it comes to applying this art and when it comes to rethinking my belief about self-defense and how to handle confrontation has been the philosophy that I've learned from these people. For instance, one of them was asked to demonstrate the power of these strikes by breaking a brick, the way some martial arts artists do. And his response was, why in the hell, you know, in Russian with a translator, would I want to do that? The guy said, to demonstrate, and the guy said, you want me to destroy something that was created by one human being so that Another human being could use it to build in a house so that a third human being could live in it. And just to prove something, you want me to destroy it. (laughs) When I heard that, I was like, wow. I I absolutely had never thought of anything in quite that way before. And having been already on the receiving end of these blows, I knew that if the guy wanted to break a brick, he probably could break a brick without any problem. He wasn't ducking the confrontation. That was the way he really felt. The other thing that I learned about these guys is none of them are real quick to jump in a ring with anybody. You don't see a lot of them running around the UFC. And what I've been told about that is that, you know, you, you, you ultimate fighting championship and all these cage matches and all these other fighting events bear no resemblance to real life. And I'm like, what do you mean that, you know, obviously they're more real than, you know, WWF wrestling or whatever. Those are, you know, stunts and theatrics and they're entertaining, but they're not real. These, these guys are really trying to hurt each other. You know, and they go at it, and they, you know, until one of them loses. How's that not real? And it's, no, 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 that's real, and it's exactly what you just described. The problem is you have two people, relatively equally matched, with a set of rules that know the confrontation that's about to occur, that have both decided willingly to enter the confrontation, that are both mentally and physically prepared for the confrontation. 
That bears no resemblance to real confrontations. Real confrontations are is a guy walking down the street, minding his own business, and some piece of crap decides that he wants what that other guy has, jumps him from behind and beats the hell out of him or stabs him with a knife and steals something from him. Or one guy gets offended by another guy, walks up to him in a bar and hits him in the face. Or two guys jump on a guy because they both are cowards and and are not willing to be in a one-on-one confrontation. And there's all these other scenarios. And the real confrontation absolutely bears no resemblance whatsoever to what happens in any kind of scheduled, organized combat fight. Wow, I really never thought of it that way before either. And it took one of these Russian guys to point that out to me, to make me aware of something that was so blindingly obvious. So my question then was, well, what's the solution? The first solution is to seek no confrontation whatsoever. To only respond when necessary. And to never demonstrate that you intend to respond until the response has been delivered. And what I mean by that, if you watch some of these videos, you look at these guys and go, their fighting form sucks, right? They're devastatingly effective, but these guys are, you know, delivering punches and they're starting with their hands at their sides. They're, they're, they're you know, they're, they're scratching their chin or, you know, they're in these nonchalant poses. And when they're attacked, they never kind of like bowl up in response. They stay in this loose, fluid form. They allow the attacker to come forward and they do whatever they have to do to survive the confrontation. And when you look at the way these guys punch, you go, there's no form there. Right? And there isn't a form. Their entire point was that you're born as a child knowing these things. And that over time, society and, and, and various forms of education take away your inborn knowledge. In other words, if you have a little kid, right, I mean, it's a little, little toddler, right, and you push their right shoulder, they don't push back. They just kind of let their right shoulder go. Their left shoulder comes around, and if they're playing with you, they'll smack you in the head, and you'll be surprised at how hard a three-year-old can hit you. Why? Because he's in this loose, carefree, smack, right, state. Right? And it's probably everybody that's ever had kids or taking care of little kids, especially like when they're in a diaper and they're doing the whole flailing the arms around, sooner or later one of them knocks you in the nose. And it's this little baby and you go, how the heck did that little kid hit me so hard? You're born with the knowledge. That was another part of the solution. Right? An additional part of the solution was to simply never claim to be able to do anything to anyone. To never talk about it. To never discuss it. Unless, If you want to discuss it, you discuss it with people you're teaching that are there to learn. But you never discuss it in general. Hey, I know how to do this or I know how to do Let me show you how to throw up. No, no. Because that invites confrontation. So this somebody thinks you're tough. They want to prove that they're tougher. And the whole point here goes back to using defense when you're unarmed the same way that you use defense when you're armed. You do not walk around with a 45 strapped to your right hip in plain view. All right? Most states that have any kind of a carrying legislation where you can get a permit, you're required to carry concealed. When you go study how to use that weapon for defense, you're told you do not draw the weapon until you feel it needs to be used. You don't brandish it. In fact, you can lose your permit and go to jail for brandishing the weapon. That's what makes the weapon so effective. Because the guy that comes up to rob you 
isn't prepared to deal with the fact that you have a weapon. If he was, he would come up behind you, stab you in the back with his knife, instead of confronting you with his knife saying, give me what you have or I'll cut you. Right? Because he knew that the situation was more dangerous for him. With that in, in play, he would take a different course. He would either avoid the confrontation, or he would up his level of attack. You would prefer that he does not up his level of attack. You would prefer that he believes he's in a superior position, and the only time he becomes aware of the inferiority of his position is when a bullet hits him in the chest. So, what I learned about physical defense, and I don't care if it's Sistema or Taekwondo, it should be the same way. That there should never be a point at which you appear to be going into a fighting stance. In other words, if you and I were in a confrontation, a verbal confrontation, and you started to escalate it with a shove, right, and I bring my hands up into that well-defined fighting position, left in front of right, shoulders square, balanced up, ready to fight, ready to defend myself. Maybe not even ready to deliver a blow, but ready to defend myself. I've now escalated the situation. I've now told you I am another man ready to fight that has some level of understanding in how to fight. You now have to ratchet up what you're doing. You are now more on the defense. You're also more on the offense. You're now prepared for me to strike you. If I never take that approach, if I stay relaxed and calm in the situation, allow you to do whatever you decide you want to do, and when I get to a point where I must strike you because you're trying to strike me or grab me or whatever, and the strike comes from absolutely nowhere, completely unexpected, if you knew what was going to happen, if you were looking at my hand or if you were looking at my foot or what have you, it would have been a relatively easy thing to block. But because you are in such a disarmed situation, believing yourself to be superior in the conflict... Your guard's down. You're not prepared. Some people would call this a sucker punch. My friends in the system, right, my friends from the KGB, the former KGB, have told me it's not sucker punching, Jack. It's surviving. See, that was the big eye-opener for me, that... Even their Olympians followed this philosophy in the former Soviet Union. You do not compete to win. You survive. And that's the word they use. You survive. If you survive long enough, then you find opportunity to win. But your focus is only to survive. Survive for the next round. Survive for the next move. Survive for the next conflict. The more you survive, the more opportunity eventually presents itself. And I thought, wow, that goes right in with my philosophy on modern survival as a whole. That that's exactly how I feel. That you're not out as I said before, trying to reenact Red Dawn, folks, if the whole thing goes to pot. Because that's a good way to get a JDAM dropped on you and get killed. What you're out to do is take care of yourself and your family and make sure that you continue to survive. First rule of survival. Live. Right? You don't live, you've failed. That's what these guys were telling me. That's what they were teaching me about conflict and confrontation. That as soon as you escalate the confrontation, you're only left with one thing. Who's stronger, faster, and better in this fight? And even if you are the stronger person, the better person, who has the better day? Who makes the first mistake? That's all that you're left with. Where if you keep the confrontation de-escalated, 
If you stay in a position that says, I don't want to fight, but you're willing to fight and you know how to fight, that you often have the opportunity to win. That if both people behave this way, there'll never be a fight. So, you're either facing someone that understands what you're doing, and it's not going to escalate the fight either, and that way the conflict is avoided, or you're facing someone that's not aware of this knowledge, and when you are, they are outgunned in the conflict. They will never be prepared for what's about to occur. Now, that's not to say that you watch a video or two, you learn how this stuff works, and now you can go take on anybody. In fact, if you feel that way, you haven't comprehended what I've been saying. All right, Because it doesn't have anything to do, per se, with Sistema as a whole. It is all about conflict in general. That if I'm walking down the street and I'm carrying my concealed handgun, and someone approaches me and apparently wishes to get my wallet from me or get my car keys so they can steal my car or something like that, that I should attempt at that point not to draw my gun down and shoot the guy, but say, hey, you know what, I really uh, need you to back off. I'm not giving you my wallet. I'm not giving you my keys. And stay calm. That very calm will start to let me be in control of the situation. If he escalates it, I can now produce my weapon. I've had time to think. I've I've settled down the situation. And, and, you know, in a combat situation, you may have to immediately draw and fire. That may happen. But in most situations where it's a theft or a robbery, you either never have the opportunity, because if somebody walks up behind you and sticks you in the back with a knife, I don't care what you're carrying. right? If you don't know they're there, it's over. Or, if they don't take that approach, there's some sort of time frame, some sort of opportunity. And it's in that situation that you can de-escalate it and bring a superior weapon to bear at a time of your choosing. And when you do it at a time of your choosing, it's far more effective than doing it in a panicked response. So it doesn't matter if it's a nightclub, it doesn't matter if it's a billy club, it doesn't matter if it's a slapjack, it doesn't matter if it's a rock you pick up off the ground to defend yourself with. It doesn't matter if it's a knowledge of a martial art, it doesn't matter if it's a gun, it doesn't matter if it's a knife. It doesn't matter if it's a fist. Whatever it is, needs to be reserved and hidden until the point at which it's used. That might sound a little bit repetitive, but it's the most important thing that you can ever learn about managing and handling your conflict, is that you don't bring a weapon to bear until it's time for its use. And what I want to wrap up with on this subject today is a little bit about situational awareness, which I did a show on a long time ago. And I should probably honestly do another one, and about trusting your instincts in your gut. That's something else I learned a lot from Val. He said, you'll go somewhere someday, and something won't be right. You'll know it's wrong. You won't know why. You won't know what. But you'll know that it's wrong. When you feel that way, you have to trust yourself. Because there's a reason that you feel that way. Never allow yourself to deny your own instincts about what is right and what is wrong in a given situation. God put you here, and when He put you here, He put you into a world that was predatory. Where you were both predator and prey. And the part of you that is prey knows when it's being hunted. It knows when it's entering a situation where you could be hunted. And it knows when to tell you, don't go there. And when it does, be obedient to it. It also knows when to tell you, you must go. You must have this conflict. You must defend yourself now. Or you must confront this situation now. When it's not ego, 
and you pushed your ego out of the way, and you know it's that same instinct is speaking to you, then you must go into the confrontation. I had this occur last night. And there was no fight. There was no guns drawn. Nothing really happened. But everything in my being told me to take the actions I did. And I'll tell you the story now. I got home very late last night. It took me almost two hours in this traffic disaster to get home. As I, and my house is on the end of a cul-de-sac, and I don't think this person was, these people were doing anything in particular against me. They were just, they didn't belong in the neighborhood one way or another. I don't know what they were really doing. I never actually found out. But what I saw is them coming from kind of the backside of my neighborhood where they're, Really is no one that would come from that direction would turn down my very short cul-de-sac ending street. And they went in there. And they went in there nice and slow. And they were just driving like they were supposed to be there. When I pulled in behind them, because I had to, because I lived there, they beat feet out of there. And I got out of the car and I told my wife, that wasn't right. And I knew. I had my heart rate up. Which, you know, I've seen cars pull in and out of my cul-de-sac plenty of times. But I knew right then that was wrong. So I got in my car, I drove back out, made a left, went down to it. There's a place I could go either right or left in the back side of my neighborhood. And I couldn't see their car, and I knew. They went left. I didn't see them go left. I knew they went left. I went left. They were down the end of the road where I kind of, it's almost like a cul-de-sac, but it actually goes back out the other way. It's like a big round spot. Pulled off into that round spot. When they saw my car come, they made a U-turn and went back the way that I came. I U-turned around them. They pulled into a driveway of an unoccupied house. It's got a for sale sign in it. I went by, got their license plate number, made the right, went back to my house, called 911, reported the vehicle for suspicious activity. As soon as I made that turn, they backed out, went back where they came from. I don't know what these people were up to. All I know is it wasn't right. And I know after I went after them and saw the way they responded to me checking them out, they definitely weren't right. Now, here's the rules of confrontation in play in a real-world situation. One, the instinct. You must do something. Okay? All right? You must do something. The, the voice was there. I heard it. I followed it. I trusted it. My heart rate was up for 15 minutes after it was over. And I don't panic in, in crisis situations. I've been trained to deal with them. It wasn't a panic. It was, listen to me. Be ready. Be prepared. Follow your gut. The other side of the conflict formula... Do not create a conflict where one does not need to happen. At the time that I saw this, all I saw was suspicious activity. Fifteen years ago, gung-ho Jack Spirico probably would have pulled his vehicle, crossed the, the front of the parking lot so that those people couldn't have got out, got out, went up to the window said, excuse me, can I help you? You seem to be lost in my neighborhood. What are you doing here? All right. I would have escalated the conflict. That would be stupid. All right. Wasn't caring. Even if I was, it still would have been stupid because it would be very easy to be shot from that type of a situation without seeing the weapon. I would have put myself into an area of weakness, allowing them to stay in an area of strength. My greatest strength in my neighborhood was to return to my home where I'm well-armed, stocked up, I have backup, I have communications, make a phone call for authorities, monitor the situation, wait for a resolution. Basically, cops came by, they were gone, I gave them a plate number, I don't know what happened from there, but took the proper course of action. All right? It's a real scenario. It happened less than 12 hours ago. 
That's what I'm talking about. Doesn't matter if it's martial arts. Doesn't matter if it's a can of maize. Doesn't matter if it's a sword or a gun or a stick or a car that you're using as a weapon. You trust your instincts on all sides. Doing that helps you survive. It helps you keep on living a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Again, this has been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Tune in tomorrow. We're going to be giving away some more stuff and uh, we'll be talking about things uh, that are even a little bit uh, totally divorced from what we've talked about today. No combat tomorrow, no firearms, nothing like that. Tomorrow we're going to go back and talk a little bit more about some different types of survival gardening. Again, this has been Jack Spierko with another edition on the Survival Podcast helps you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. You can scream and you can holler it really doesn't matter cause it all gets spent